So I'm very grateful that you know, she became a disciple and she was able to help me come to church. Which uh, brings me to our topic for today. And Gio had been doing a series on uh, one another. So I wanted to continue a little bit on that. And I believe that if any one of us want to make it to the end, we absolutely cannot do it on our own. No matter how strong you are or how smart you are, we need help from other people. And many of us are here today because literally, if you've been in the church long enough, you know, hundreds of people have helped us. People had to get involved in our lives. And if you are a disciple and you continue to be a disciple, you know, people had to be involved. And as I look back on my life of 16 years as a disciple, there have been hundreds uh, that have uh, touched my life. People that helped me to be faithful to God. People that have counseled uh, me and my wife. People that have prayed with me. Ministers that have um, preached. People that studied the Bible with me. You know, raising our kids. You know, we need help with that. And if you want to make it to heaven, you've got to get help. Getting to heaven should be a dream and a goal for our lives. And for me, I want to spend my life, I want to spend eternity with God. You know, I want to hear God say, good and faithful servant, well done. I want, him, I want to hear that from him. I want to walk with the people of faith in the Bible. And, I, and in order for us to get to heaven, we're going to need people to help us. You can't live this Christian life on your own. It's not designed for you to live on your own. And sometimes we even need daily help. Isn't that right? We need help. And that's why God gave us the church. That's why Jesus ended his work talking about relationships, talking about um, loving one another, being united with one another. And maybe you want to build a great marriage. You know, you cannot build a great marriage by yourself, just you and your wife. All the books, all the videos that we can watch, it's not going to give us the marriage that God intended us to have. You have to humble yourself and let others get involved in your life. And our children, we need help with our children. You know you need help with your children. You know, let's get help for our children. And some of you want to build great relationships, to have awesome dating lives. You need help with that. You know, we're not born knowing what to do. We need help with our character flaws. You know, maybe there's something in your character just, that's just tearing you down. Maybe you'll do well for a while, but then it'll just come back. I don't know what it is for you, but you know what it is. You should know what it is. But if not, then that may be your character flaw. And we need help with that. There, the reason that many Christians fail because, is because of the refusal to seek help. Our pride, it could be our stubbornness, 
it can make us think that we can do it on our own. I can do this, is our mentality. And, you know, I'm just thinking about my daughter. You know, she's three years old. You know, she'll, you know, several times, you know, we're trying to dress her up. And, you know, you're trying to dress her and she'll grab her clothes, her shirt, and she'll run away. And, and she'll say, I'll do this on my own. And, you know, wait a couple of minutes and she's like this. You know, Daddy, I need help. You know, she's got her head and her arm in one hole. But that could be us sometimes. You know, we can think that we can do things on our own. You know, it's in our nature to be independent. And many of us even try to live our lives without God. You know, how does that turn out? I know for me, it turned out terrible. And you can't live this life without God, without godly people. You can try, and, uh, but, you know, and we have tried, but we need one another. It takes a lot of people to help reach your goals. And we, you know, we can think about Jesus. Jesus had a dream and goal. He, had, he wanted to see the whole world have the opportunity to be saved, for everyone to have their sins forgiven. And so what did he do? He recruited people, right? Now, he recruited people that will help him. He only had three and a half years. He knew he needed others to continue after he left. So he invested his time and his energy on a group of people that will help him um, what, would, what he started. That was his goal. And if Jesus, the Son of God, needed help, you know, what more for us? You know, we can't say we don't need any help. Moses, we all know him from the beginning. He said, I can't do it. So he gives him Aaron. And Aaron does help him and many other people. In the New Testament, we read about Paul and his companions. It's men like Timothy, Silas, we have Titus. You know, they helped him spread the gospel. You're not an island. And we can't be an island. If you are an island, you will die. And I want to focus on one great leader in the Bible. You know, we've been uh, hearing some of the Psalms uh, this morning. And, you know, many of those Psalms were written by David. And we all know him as a great and powerful king. A man after God's own heart. We don't really think of his early beginnings, but we're going to turn there uh, to 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel. In, in chapter 16, um, let's read in verse 1. If you're there, give me an amen. If not, then say, help me, God. All right, and um, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. 
I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. And I love this part in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. Amen. Amen for that. Praise God. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You don't have to be tall. Praise God. Right, Gio? You don't have to be good looking to be a leader. And, you know, I love the scripture. I wish I had the scripture memorized when I was elementary in elementary school. You know, I used to hate when we formed lines by size order. I, I, was, I was always second to, to the first. So thank God somebody else was shorter than me. And, you know, I became buddies with that guy because we were always together. But, you know, I wish I had this scripture in mind and I wouldn't have uh, felt insecure then. But now, you know, I wish it was in size order. You know, going to the bank, I wish, I, you know, they had that system. <laughs> now, can I be first? I'm shorter. Yeah, but, yeah, this, I love the Bible. It defends you. And let's go back to uh, verse 8 in uh, 1 Samuel 16. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shemesh pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? That was seven sons right there, seven boys. There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord says, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. What would you have done if you were David? A great and powerful leader of God comes to your house and lines up all your brothers, and none of them were chosen. Then comes to you and says, 
You are the anointed one. You will be king. How would you feel? Maybe some of us would have been, yeah, I am king. Yeah. I am king. Don't mess with me. Here I come. I am somebody. But you know, before David became king, he had to go through a lot of trials. He eventually became king, but we're going to look at what he had to go through before that, before he became king. People loved David, but Saul, who was the current king, was uh, envious and jealous of David. He had, killed, he had killed the Philistine Goliath. You know that story, David and Goliath. And we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 18, in verse 1. We're skipping a few chapters. And after David, verse 1, after David had finished talking to, with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took one of the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and, he, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that, successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands, tens of thousands. Saul was angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? From that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the the liar, Lear, not liar, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled, hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. And David, this is not what David thought his path would be, and to be an, an anointed king. He's there trying to comfort Saul, you know, playing the harp. Saul gets up, and throws a spear at him. And he tries to kill David. Yeah, do you ever experience someone trying to kill you? Yeah, I'm sure David was like, you know. But Saul tried to take his life. And in um, 1 Samuel 20, verse 41, you know, we're going to go to Jonathan. In verse 41, it says, Jonathan the son of King Saul becomes David's best friend. And at first, Jonathan did not believe that Saul wanted to kill David, and so they made a plan to find out 
if David is in danger. Later on, Jonathan does find out that Saul wanted to kill him. And so Jonathan sends David off to run away you know, from danger, from his father, the king. And one thing I learned about, and so what happens here, if you uh, read that, is even Jonathan, the, his father, King Saul, tried to kill him. You know, he threw a spear at him too. And one thing I learned about Saul here is that he can't throw a spear. You know, every, t- every time he's throwing a spear, he misses. You know, imagine being known in the Bible, you know. You know, Geo kicked the ball, he missed. Or Zaldi did something, he dropped it. You know, but, you know, that's not a good way to be known in the Bible. And let's pick up in verse 41. No, actually, I was reading before that. But let's go to 41 now. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between you, your descendants, and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. It says David wept, and I'm pretty sure, you know, he was having a hard time with his life. You know, to be an anointed king, and you have to run for your life. I'm sure he was saying, why is life so hard? But, you know, for you to accomplish your goals, you have to go on detours. You will face roadblocks, maybe even dead ends. Maybe you will doubt yourself. Maybe you think you won't be able to overcome. God, this is too hard. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I expected from my Christian life. This is not what I expected from my marriage. This is not what I expected from my dating life. It's not all happily ever after. You know, life is up and down. We know that, right? And sure, we need to trust God and find our strength from God and focus on God. But David, what got David through this difficult time was a friend, Jonathan. David had a friend in his life who would weep with him. And I think we we have many people here that suffer alone. They suffer in silence. And they refuse to let people in. You know, there will be times where you can't do it by yourself. You will question if you can make it. There, There are times you will doubt, am I in the right church? Am I with the right people? Did I marry the right person? But who gets you through that? Well, there's godly people that can help you through that. People that have been there where you are right now. If you had to weep, who would be there to weep with you? Is there someone that you can be vulnerable with? That was the lesson last week about being vulnerable. Is there someone that will help you up those mountains? David 
went hiking. He had people with him. For David, in the Bible, all these trials are not just one chapter. And it goes on through many chapters. And let's pick up in 1 Samuel 23. Um, verse 15, it says, While David was, was at Horesh in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The, one, the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. You know, I'm very impressed with Jonathan. He's such an awesome guy. And he's become one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible. And when you look at him, he's supposed to be next in line to be king. He was son of the current king. But he was such a spiritual man that it was not about him. It was not about his position or inheritance. For Jonathan, it was about God and his will. It did not matter that he was the son of King Saul. And because of his spirituality, the Bible says that Jonathan helped David find strength in God. And this is not the David that we'll know that, you know, that will come later, you know, the great king. But at this point and at this time, his faith was faltering. And he was probably questioning if he was really the anointed one. It was at this moment that he needed a friend who will help him find strength in God. Who helps you find strength in God? Who helps you? We all need to find strength in God. And none of us are strong enough. Even Jesus had to find strength in God. Who helps you? And have you ever been there where you're questioning yourself? You're doubting yourself. Where is God trying to take me? Why am I in the situation I'm in? You can try to do things by yourself. And, you know, sad to say, some of us try to do things by ourselves. But you have to realize that the way God works, he's not going to say in your ear, Zaldi, this is what you got to do. You know what he does? The way he wants to help you is he sends people. But then we can be like, well, that's not the person I want. I was, that's not the person I was hoping he'd send. But you know, you don't tell God who to send. He'll send who he wants to send. That's how he works. And sometimes he'll send someone that's encouraging, someone that will build you up, lift your spirits. And that's, uh, I believe that that was Jonathan to David. But sometimes he'll send someone that will be brutally honest. Someone that will tell you like it is. And you could be telling, someone could be telling you are in sin. And God, and you could say, God, this is not the person I want to hear from. But if you do not listen to the person God is sending you, you're not listening to God. 
God wants to see you make it. In Ecclesiastes, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Ecclesiastes 4. It says in verse 8, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either, either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Who helps you? We all fall, don't we? The strongest of Christians have dark moments. Who helps you up? I've been married for over 10 years to my lovely, beautiful wife, and I don't know where she is right now. Oh, she's back there with our son. But, yeah, I love her, and I've spent 10 years trying to understand her. And I'll come to the conclusion that I, will never, I never will, at least not fully. But God did not make us men to figure out women. But I believe that God made other women who can figure her out. And wives, yeah, no matter how awesome your husband can be, you still need other women in your life. Because if your husband is telling you, baby, I understand you, I know you, he's lying. <laughs> he's lying. He just wants to be over. He, 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 just, he just, I got to get out of this. I'm, you're wearing me out. The wife says, uh, let's talk. And the guy's like, again? We already talked. I'm tired of talking. But guys, we're never going to get it. But if your wife is close to other women, they can help her. They, they will get it. And now, I know the other women don't understand men too. Because we don't need to go into a lot of elaborate details like the women do, like you do. Unless it's sports or electronics, you know, things like that. You know, we can get into detail. But us guys, we just mean what we say. How are you feeling? Fine. What does that mean? Exactly what I said. How was the conversation? It was a good talk. It's different for women. Women will be, what did he say? What did you say? What was the reaction? I don't remember. Maybe over time I'll remember. Maybe the whole week I'll remember what, I, what the conversation was about. But we're different. That's why we need other men who, who can look us in the eye and say, bro, you need to repent. That we, need a, we understand. Who helps you up? Who helped you in your marriage? Who helps you in your relationships? Do you listen to the people God sends you? Sometimes we can just be stubborn. And going back to Samuel, in 2 Samuel 23, you know, we, we look at the, um, David and he finally becomes king. In verse 8, in 2 Samuel 23, it says, These are the name of David's mighty warriors. And he goes through a list of great men who were part of David's life. David surrounded himself with mighty warriors. He could not do it on his own. He surrounds himself with people 
who are strong or even, or sometimes even stronger than he was. You know, people that, you know, men, warriors that killed hundreds of people. He didn't surround himself with weak people. No, for us, we got to surround ourselves with people who are spiritually strong. People that will help you find strength in God. Let me ask you, who are the mighty men and mighty women in your life? Verse 9 says, there were 37 in all. David had 37 amazing men that helped him. Do you have at least 10 people in your life helping you? In 1 Chronicles 12, it says, These were the men who came to David at Ziklag. While he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of, son of Kish, they were among the warriors who helped him in battle. And another list of people that helped David see him become king. Verse 23 says, These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. Verse 38. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. Do you know who these men David's life represent? It's the church. No, they represent the church. It's the church that Jesus died for. The church, our church, is full of people that want us, that want to help us make it to the end. The church is here to help us become what God wants us to be. We just don't get baptized and go on our merry way. We're baptized into the body of Christ. Praise God. And we get surrounded by a lot of great people. Not perfect people, but they are there to help you. Do you let them help you? But there are many people that are very difficult to help. And it should not be that way. Because you decided to become a disciple of Christ. Or want to follow Christ. This is the only place I know that people see the good, the bad, and the ugly and still love you. They still want to help you. They still want to work with you and motivate you and inspire you to become someone that you can never be on your own. And we need to thank God that we can be part of this church. We can be part of this church. And we could take, sometimes we can take it for granted. Where do you find a place like this? Where do you find a place where people want to help you for free. You know, nobody wants anything. And some people get so much help. You know, we get so much help. And people out there pay a lot of money to get the help we, we get. You know, the church is the family of God. It's not supposed to be a place where people are superficial, you know, disconnected, and not involved in each other's lives. 
And the closest people in my life are people in the church. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful that members of my family are part of the church because it makes us even closer to one another. And that should be a dream for the people around us, for our families. Just to close out, and if you're visiting, you know, that's what this church is about. You just don't leave here, uh, leave this morning and not know, it, not know anyone. You know, people are going to talk to you here. No one's going to leave you alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, so, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Are you rejoicing, or are you suffering? Are you going through trials? If so, who's helping you? Who can you write down? I can count on them. They can count on me. Just like David, who had many people by his side, you also need people that are in your life. So let the walls down, let the barriers down, and help one another. To God be the glory.